Welcome to the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider, the podcast where we pull back the curtain and speak to the brains behind sales and marketing activity that has delivered real results. Get inspired and get actionable ideas by hearing what they did and how they did it. Brought to you by me, Ben Rose, along with Gorilla Technology. Welcome to another episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. I'm your host, Ben Rose, and today we're speaking to the very first Knight Grand Companion of the New Zealand Order of Merit we've ever had on the podcast, Sir Ray Avery. Ray's led an incredible life of ups and downs, and while his career has not been specifically focused on sales and marketing, it's seen him become masterful at both. I've asked Ray to appear on the podcast because of his incredible ability to persuade people to get on board with his big ideas and achieve amazing things. After spending his childhood in British orphanages and foster homes, he's developed an interest in science at the age of 14 while sleeping rough in London and finding warmth in public libraries. Luckily for us, he later moved to New Zealand and became an influential figure as an academic, businessman, scientist, inventor and activist. Ray made it his life's work to tackle the massive health challenges endemic throughout the developing world. To do so, he founded a global charity, uh, Medicine Mondiale, which enlists scientists and entrepreneurs to develop life-changing technology and he's invented a number of innovations himself, from the low-cost LifePod incubator to Protein Forte, a revolutionary treatment for protein energy malnutrition. So that's enough from me. Let's hear from the man himself. Welcome to the podcast, Ray. Pleased to be here. So I see you as a, a marketing person and a salesperson. Do you see yourself that way? I think um, we all are, uh, you know, at, at our roots, because the way that we um, get through the world is by communicating with other people. And that's... The root derivative of that is being customer centric. So if you want to be liked or you want to sell something. So the thing that I mastered very early on, and, and I was very fortunate because um, um, I probably had the best uh, sales and marketing training that you could get. Um, being brought up in orphanages in the UK and um, living on the streets of London, I, I had to beg for food you know, to get by. Mm-hmm. And very early on, I understood uh, that the, the very core of any marketing strategy is to be absolutely ferociously customer centric don't put yourself in the picture so i went in the first day i went in to ask for for uh, i was i was you know hungry and i was living under a railway bridge and i went in i knew it on fridays that they would shut the shop up at the, the bakery and they would throw out all the rolls you know the stale rolls would go there was the monday was too far away they'd, just throw, they'd throw them out and so i just went in there with my school uniform on and said have you got any stale rolls that i could have you know to take home and so from their perspective, they saw a school kid begging who was reasonably well-dressed and uh, therefore they told me to piss off. And so um, after a couple of days, I thought about this and I went in again uh, and I went in in my jeans and my T-shirt a bit later in the day and asked for the same thing and they told me to piss off again. And so I went outside and sat outside and watched them all leave and they all ran, and it was a little bus stop outside uh, with no shelter but just a, a, a small um, bench and I sat on that and it started to rain and they all left and then I did it the same the next day and the next day on the third day they came out with a paper bag full of buns and gave it to me uh, because I'd appealed to their humanity that there was yes. this poor kid yes. and that's when I learned how you actually start to think about selling things from a, from a marketing perspective and understanding the customer statement of need. And then uh, as I went through life, I applied all those things to probably the wrong kind of marketing thing. So, for instance, I've, I was working very hard setting up businesses and um, I would um, end up at 11 o'clock at night um, hungry 
I'd, I'd work during the day setting up my laboratories uh, in South England, um, testing laboratories, and then I had an interest in a petrol station. And I was the only person who could actually add up, so I'd do the accounts <laughs> at the end of the day. So I'd go to the petrol station and do the accounts. But then I'd go off to the disco, uh, not to, to dance or to, to whatever, but just to get something to eat because it was the only place after 11.30 at night <laughs> in East London where you, in those days where you could get something to eat. Wow. And there was these mad people that were selling, you know, a spaghetti bolognese sandwiches. It was completely mad. <laughs> but at least you got something to eat. Yep. But, of course, the inevitable was that um, there were all the girls there dancing away. And what I learned again was that all, there were all these guys much better looking than me, you know, much better sales and marketing pitch that I could ever have. You know, they looked like Tom Cruise or whatever. And they were going over asking these girls to dance. And these girls were all in a posse. They were all enjoying themselves. They didn't actually want to be disturbed by these blokes trying to <laughs> ask them to dance, you know. And... And I started thinking about some marketing strategy for that. So what I used to do is, is to watch one individual girl dance and then I'd mimic her dancing and get next to her and start dancing. It actually like she was dancing. And she'd turn around and start dancing with me because that was what she was doing. <laughs> <laughs> and that's been absolutely customer-centric. It is. It is. <laughs> so, so, so how do you, um, how do you apply that in a, in a business context? So... You know some of some of your you know your inventions or your previous initiatives. How have you how have you really got close to the customer to understand what works for them? Well, I think one of the biggest successes with that was um, in New, in the New Zealand context. Um, I was working at the Department of Clinical Pharmacology, the Auckland Medical School, and Graham Douglas approached me and said, "Look, would you like to set up the manufacturing division for Douglas Pharmaceuticals?" And we started to manufacture generic drugs, and it was a difficult time because the multinationals really controlled all of the drug distribution mm. so having a dodgy you know generic company uh, and and it, and it was worse because the media were um being almost employed by the multinationals to make sure that we looked dodgy and right. um, graham and i came up with the idea that we would deliver to you uh, within three hours any order that you made from our company and that meant we would get out in our cars and drive with the products in the boot and deliver them to the pharmacy. And there was one wonderful moment where Graham Douglas and his Jag was unpiling all of these um, these drugs for the pharmacy and, and the multinational was saying, this is not right. You know, we've got these dodgy generic people delivering stuff out of the boot of their cars. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, again, it's about how you market stuff or how people are perceived. But what we did do uh, was very early on we understood uh, my first real four-day into marketing in New Zealand was to understand that you'd never, ever try and sell products. Never try and sell a product. What okay. you do is you sell a customer statement of need. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so we went to the pharmacist and said, what do you want? And they said, well, we're trying to build businesses. We're all sole traders. Um, can you give us one month's interest-free credit on the product we buy? And we said, yeah, we can probably work with the bank and work on that. And then we said, uh, what else do you need? And they said, well, you know, we, um, we want to be able to promote your stock, but we can't necessarily afford to pay for it all at the same time. So we said, well, look, we'll give you some uh, promotional stock and some bonus stock. And as long as we had our product in the pharmacy shelves, mm -hmm. we were winning. We were getting yes. free advertising. Yes. And so that's how we actually started the business and started to make real traction was by being customer-centric. And similarly, when multinational companies were getting PHs with PhDs in uh, things like um, heart surgery, um, and they would go into the with a very glossy brochure and go into the uh, doctor's surgery. At the end of the day, he'd just come out of somebody's heart, stitching them up, but he was tired, exhausted. And there's this, this wonderful guy in a wonderful suit and a tie, and he had this brochure talking about these drug um, drugs for heart surgery. And 
you know, that's probably the last thing he probably wanted to see, you know, because yeah, he was yeah. tired. What we did was got all these lovely young girls who were, um, you know, um, easy on the eye, and they uh, they went in, and the first thing they were trained to do was ask him how they were. So, how, Brian? You look tired. How are you? Mm. And they'd mm. start to have a conversation. They didn't try and sell anything. They were asked mm. a, a customer statement of need, and what he needed at that time was some, you know, belief that he was doing the right thing and how can we help. And what we did do... We were, it wasn't legal in those days to give them free drugs or things like that. So what we could do, though, was if we knew, we would really data mine them and see where their interests were and do all the reprints of the scientific papers in their area and give them to, give them, to them. Right. So that was the first right. thing that happened. We didn't try and sell a drug. Say, Brian, you may be interested in these drug things. And so they became uh, they our friends. So personalised communication before yeah, there was personalised communication. Yeah, that's right. So it's very, very much. If you lose the point of where you see yourself in the picture, and this goes right through to when you're doing contracts, then you'll fail because you don't see the other person's point of view. Everybody in it who, who gets into a really good contract gives a little bit more than they want to give away. Uh, but if you know that at the outset, you can yeah. come out with a good answer. But if you're stoichiometric and say, no, I'm not going to do that then you'll fail and I think that's one of the biggest lessons selling is actually not that hard um, as long as you, you know, follow the basic rules which are be ferociously customer centric and the next thing is to understand the customer statement of need so what is the real true customer statement of need sometimes they don't know mm. sometimes you find that for them yes. and you give it to them and they go wow and that changes the direction of their business yeah 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 do you do you think um, do you think sales is misunderstood? Well, I think it's grossly understood in the sense that, um, uh, well, I mean, I'm just going to get more kind of philosophical about it. I mean, uh, what success? Uh, you know, uh, you could say uh, Coca-Cola and um, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken and um, and uh, McDonald's are fantastic success stories, but of course, uh, they're also associated with the high rates of obesity and teeth decay and whatever. So for me, I have a different perspective of what success looks like. So all the things that I invest in and do are to do with um, making the world a better place. And that's a different story. That's to mm. say, get up in the morning and say, um, so for instance, we're just about to launch a domestic violence campaign. Uh, most people won't be aware, but we lead the world with respect to domestic violence. You know, and uh, that, Not in a good way. Well, not in a good way, you know, and so, uh, and a lot of our, we, we lead the world also in the number of child suicides, mm. which are also associated with uh, domestic violence. And so for a country that's got everything, uh, it's, it's uh, an abomination. So what I'm trying to do is we've got some very cool tech that we've been trialling in Australia and America, and it's worked very well. We want to bring it back home to New Zealand. Um, so we've got to sell it to people. We've got to sell the idea that we can fix social problems. Um, but it's harder to do that. I mean, I could raise um, $10 million tomorrow if I had a fintech company that was going to speed up electronic um, transfers to the bank. But if I want to change healthcare, it's much, much more complicated process and not so sexy necessarily as people. So uh, we, you get, you know, the, the society that you kind of deserve. And so I come from a... My sales pitch now is to, well, right now, one of the best things I've ever done in the last um, few months is we knew that we needed a major media campaign that would cost probably 20 to $30 million to roll out our domestic violence campaign. Mm. So what I did is I, I threw down the gauntlet to all of the media companies in New Zealand and said, I want you to help me to do this. And uh, they how, all... How did you do that? Well, I just did a, uh, I, I did a, a thing on LinkedIn to start with and then a little media piece and said... Um, you know, I know you guys are kind of natural enemies, that you're competitive and your things. 
Um, I remember earlier on going to one of the major media outlets and said, you know, um, you're one of the best media communication companies, marketing companies in New Zealand. I know that because you represent, and these are generic things, they didn't necessarily represent these these companies, but you represent um, Kentucky Fried Chicken, you know, Jim Beam, and you're not going to go to heaven. Uh, but, 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 <laughs> but I can help. <laughs> but I can help. You, know, yeah. you do something for me for free. Yeah. And it was really that kind of needus that, that I got them all to involve because we now have Colenso and uh, Saatchi and Saatchi and uh, 20 other major media companies involved in the wow. campaign. Yeah. And they've all agreed to put aside their kind of commercial competitiveness to do something together Fantastic. that we can actually make a difference to domestic violence in New Zealand. So that's a part of marketing, social marketing, where you get people. My other trick is to try and get people to be better than they are. You know, uh, so how do you approach that? Well, most people are innately good. You know, I think they are, but they're all getting on with their lives. You know, there's, mm. there's things, there's, there's things, you know, uh, you know, we've got to go home and cook dinner and, yep, you, and yep. you've got to, got to clean your shoes and, Jesus, you know, you've got grass stains on your pants or whatever, you know. So there's all sorts of stuff going on in your life uh, that stops you from taking a moment to say, where are we in society? What are we doing? Um, and I'm now in the last, um, you know, 4,000 days of my life thinking I want to be remembered for something that's really, really cool. Uh, so maybe I can just convince everybody to, to be better than they are and take a moment, take a breath and get out of their normal routine and put aside a little portion of their time. And the rewards are an infinite in terms of how we can change our society. You know, I mean, um, when I was approached by Fred Hollows uh, about 35 years ago, he mm. said, I want you to go to Eritrea and build a, a lens factory to make intraocular lenses. Um, I went there and the place was munted. You know, after 30, 30 years of war, it's completely yep. munted. There's yep. nothing there. Uh, we had to build something completely from scratch. And then another decade later, we'd build another laboratory in Nepal and we started manufacturing world-class lenses. And so by the time my youngest daughter is my age, uh, 100 million people have their sight restored because of something I did. Yes. And that taught yes. me you can change the world. One yes. person can change the world. On the other side of the coin, um, sometimes there's people who... You can't fix, you know, there's the murderers and people who've just got some wiring that's wrong. But mm. generally most people you can convince to be a better person than they are, uh, than they think they are. And that's what I do with the teams. That's the other thing about marketing teams uh, per se is um, you can build unassailable teams. Um, and there's a misnomer that marketing is just about um, the guy in the car who's going round selling the drugs. Mm. But it's actually about, it goes right back to the people on the factory that are making it. And they believe in the company and they believe. So when, well, Douglas was my first experiment in uh, creating a whole army of miscreants that could do anything they wanted to do. Uh, so we had a whole range of people from different uh, societal backgrounds, um, different sexual backgrounds, and we just adopted them all and put them into a mix and said, Let's work together and do something really remarkable. So every time we get a new drug that was, um, uh, you know, going to market, we do a conga dance through the whole factory, the whole people. <laughs> and I would cook them some despicable meal uh, because I was travelling the world and, 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 and I'd, if I'd been to Japan, I'd cook them Japanese food and they really wanted a hamburger. Um, but, but the point was we were a family and there was no management, staff, discrimination. Uh, we were just a... a a whole team of people who believed in the same. See, the the thing about a leader is that all they do is expose the hopes and dreams of a particular 
group of people at a particular point in time. Mm. And that's a good leader. And that's, mm. that's what you do with the marketing team. Because if everybody at Convita or uh, Fonterra believes in that story, then they give more. Because uh, when times get tough and people have to take a pay cut, you need all of the team. It's not just not the marketing team. Yep. So yep. marketing is about getting everybody in the team to believe that they're an integral part of the team. One of the things that I could give your uh, listeners a bit of advice is um, it's a bit like being in the army where you don't leave anybody behind. You know, Everybody's trying really hard to be part of the team. Mm. Uh, but you need to know uh, and get a, a bit of a flashcard as to how you're doing as a leader. You know, So when I leave my office or, or when people are leaving my office, they'll, we have this, this thing where we um, basically uh, shout out three adjectives for your boss or the person that um, you know you report to and those adjectives are about who you are as a human being not about um, how you did today as a manager but right. how they feel about you how, how do they feel about you and you can use that in your, your everyday life you know so um, and I think one of the biggest customers that we have in our uh, lives are the people we go to sleeps with every night and often they're the ones that we don't pay attention to if you don't get that right, then you're in trouble because it just affects all of the other yes, things. Yeah. So um, I remember my wife was coming to bed with me, uh, or she was in bed with me, and she had to get up because one of the kids was sick. We got a closed circuit TV television. She went downstairs, and um, you know started to look after the kids. So if my employees are leaving the office, they might say inspiring, clever, and thoughtful, uh, and I'll think that's nice. So I'll think that's a good good wrap for the day. But they might say clever, thoughtful and complex. Now, what have I been the next day to understand what that means? You know, so in that context, my wife had got up, gone downstairs to look after the kids. She came back sort of smelling of vomit. She went into the toilet, cleaned herself up, plumped herself in bed. And I said to her, three words for Mr Ray. And she said, you've got to be joking. It's 4.30 in the morning and the kids have been up. And then she made a stupid decision and decided to ask me three words for her. And, <laughs> and I said, voluptuous, sexy and desirable. She said, bugger off, you're not getting any. <laughs> but, but, but that's a good example of how it's disarming in the way that, mm. you know, I've had production managers and uh, quality assurance managers who are natural enemies who, given their own devices, would have actually made a barrier to being part of the team. But yep. because we made them be human... And say, set outside, set outside the, the roles that you're playing. Your mm, first role is mm. to be a human being. Yes. If you get that right, yep. uh, we're all in this team together. Yep. Uh, and so we've got different agendas, you know, uh, manufacturing is to get the product out the door at any any cost, and QE, QC's the job to get it out the, 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 with a certain quality value. But yep. sometimes there's a grey area depending on the risks involved. So. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about teams because because you were talking earlier about everybody's work, everybody works in marketing. So, yeah. so how, how do you ensure that, you know, I suppose that, how does that apply to sales as well? How do you ensure that everybody in the business knows what the brand stands for and everybody knows what the, you know, the commercial outcomes are? Well, that's a good question because um, that's what happens, I think, in large companies is you get this um, dilution of the core values of the company. So when the uh, women are working on the packing line, you know, just putting on, you know, cling wrap, wrap around products and working late at night to get the order that the guy in the big uh, uh, six-cylinder car is out there with his suit you know, knocking on doors and they see them as the, the marketing people. Mm, um, mm, mm. And so the, it's very easy to get a disconnect. So it goes back to this family, 
perspective of that we're all uh, a, a team. And so what you need to do is to invest in, and, and people like Douglas are doing that right now, even today. So they have these huge sort of communication boards within the organisation. So everybody knows their role, and the part that they're playing in marketing. And so, for instance, if you're going out there selling particularly something like a drug, mm. you want to be sure that it's been tested properly and it's for perfectly okay. And the same thing would be true for an ice cream, you know. Yep. Um, so you don't yep. want to... Um, because the marketing man, um, you know, can easily get lost, you know, um, uh, and quality assurance people are profoundly part of any marketing organisation. In a mother life, uh, when I first came to New Zealand, I I bought some uh, some villas in Mount Eden and started renovate them, and there was all this lovely carry timber and remu timber, and I had this idea that I'd make these kind of um, animal um, jigsaw puzzles and if you made all those carry bits fit together you make a giraffe and if you made all of the pig shapes together out of um, Rimu you'd make a, a, right. you know, and I had this wonderful idea of making jigsaw puzzles and I got it all done and I sent the stuff off to the guy with the CNC thing who cut them all out mm-hmm. a, good, a good guy in New Zealand and then I got them all back and most of them were okay but the last 25% were complete rubbish because they were made of different each animal had multicoloured bits of timber in them, and, that, that, <laughs> and, and, and he was just using up the bits. You yes, see, so there was a, yeah, there was a yeah, gap yeah. in the quality assurance system, yep, and yep, that affected yep. the marketing of the company. Absolutely. So what you've got to do is actually yes. make people understand that, or everybody is involved in marketing. Mm. You know, if you, the quality is not there, then you can't sell a product. Yes. Um, and also the culture of the company. You know, you have to think about sit down and say, who are we? Um, you know, and we would do all these training things like, oh, are we are we a rabbit, or are we a dog? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we a cat. Well, and so we eventually would all work together and say, what are we? Uh, as, as, and what would happen? Um, we would all give each other's names as well, um, personalised names. You know, and nobody would um, call me the boss. You know, for instance, and they would take. I mean, at meetings when I was giving them a bollocking as, as much as I could give them a bollocking for something going wrong, I would always introduce it by saying, gentlemen, it's not my idea to whatever. I'll just say that. And whenever they wanted to say something to me, they'd say, gentlemen, it's not my idea to. <laughs> they just take the piss out of me. And that was a wonderful thing because, um, uh, the, you know, there was no uh, – they, they knew that they could speak up about yes, anything. They yeah, were all part yeah. of our team. Yeah. And at the end of it, what you do all do is say – um, we are an unassailable team and there is nobody better than us. And if everybody believes that and they really believe it, you've got a very powerful tool to do anything you want to do. And I couldn't have built these plants in... A good example was um, in Nepal, we built this interocular lens laboratory. It was just about to be opened um, and uh, I, you know, I'd been out celebrating with the... Um, uh, various people have come into town in three days' time. The king was going to open this factory. Uh, dignitaries have come in and from all over the world. Um, I'd been out with the Australian ambassador getting horribly drunk at the, <laughs> at the, the, the ambassador's residence and finally piled into my bed about 2 o'clock in the morning. About 4 in the morning, there was a knock on the door and it was a guy and he said, Mr Ray, he was one of the engineers, he said, Mr Ray, factory gone. I said, what do you mean? Factory can't be gone. You can't lose a bloody factory, you know. And so we, we went to the factory and what had happened is somebody had taken off the air conditioning oh units at the top and the water had been a big storm overnight and the rain had come in, filled in up all of these suspended ceilings and collapsed the whole oh internal gosh. parts. The multi-million dollar equipment was just covered in water and, and rubbish and everything was gone. And we were three days away from opening. And um, I went to the CEO of the Fertilizer Foundation. I said, look, we can't 
we'll have to postpone the opening. There's no way we can get this fixed in time. Mm. He said, well, they're all here. We can't just stop it, you know. And I said, well, the best I can do probably if we work 24 hours a day for the next three days, we might be able to finish one room and make it look like this is what it would have looked like. And, <laughs> and, and, and then, you know, it'll be fine. We can have the opening and they can just take some films in that first room and we'll yes. do that. So we did that. We worked. And so after about a day and a half, we'd managed to complete one room. And uh, I was in this room with a whole bunch of engineers that were from New Zealand and Australia that I managed to cobble together. And um, we were exhausted and we were covered in dust. And the Australian ambassador came in and he dropped off a crate of Jim Beam uh, whiskey and um, bourbon. And uh, the, the, one of the guys that was there is a guy called Vinyl. He laid the vinyl in the factories. We don't know what his name is. <laughs> Neither does Vinyl. He just lays vinyl. He said, too much solvent. And, and, and Vinyl said, gee, Ray, if I'd have known that you'd have had this connection I'd have fixed the whole fucking lot <laughs> and, I, and I said well why don't we boys why don't we and it was one of those moments where yeah. we all got up and we worked for the next you know nearly two days 24 hours have never slept and if you'd have gone into that factory and touched the ceiling at the, the last room it's still been wet when we opened it wow but we went off uh, to get changed uh, in the back of this ute and dust was coming off us and I felt like I was in the Second World War with my team of guys that we were just amazing. We'd done something incredible. Mm. And that's that team-building stuff. And my guys would follow me into, into the jaws of death if I asked them to. And that's how you build unassailable teams is just to be one of them and not their administrator. And what, what do you look back on over your career? What do you look back on as, you know, among your greatest sales and marketing achievements that you're really proud to have done? <laughs> well, I always say the one I'm going to do next <laughs> because that's true because at the end of the day um, you wouldn't ask a chef if it's the best meal he's ever cooked yeah, you know yeah. so it's it, everything is a learning process there's been a lot of successes what about some which were quite good uh, well no I mean you know it, it's just a question of it's a question of metrics not so much quite mm. good I mean I would argue um, one of my earliest successes was um going to the tip and getting bicycles and refurbishing them and selling them to my, my schoolmates at school. Yeah. I, I had nothing. I was living under a railway bridge, so I'd get these these um, bicycles refurbished and I, I'd learned how to make the three three uh, gear wheel uh, things work and then I started to be able to sell them. And my ambition at that stage was to own my own bicycle shop. Mm. Uh, and so what happens is you learn and then I was lucky enough to... Uh, be picked off the streets of London um, by one particular teacher um, and he got me into the Y Agricultural Research College and that was just the luck of my life in the sense because I was living on the streets of London. Suddenly there I was at the um, Y Agricultural Research College which is the Eton of agricultural research right. and these were all career academics. Uh, uh, some of them were Knights of the Land. They were also landowners and castle owners and they said, good Lord, Ray, you can't talk properly. What a you can't come to hunt balls unless you know how to talk properly. And so, they, <laughs> so they sent me to dance class, dance classes, taught me how to play bridge. We were having brideshead visited lunches with, wow. with truffles and things on there. You know, it was just extraordinary. So I, I, I got a radar accent at those, in those days, Royal Academy radar accent, and, and I knew about a whole lot of world I'd never known. But that was also a marketing tool because once I had all of that acumen, mm -hmm. uh, you can use that for other purposes. And, of course, I had not never been loved in my life, so I thought... 
Um, the best thing I can do with all these tools is to try and seduce as many women as possible. Of course. <laughs> and, that's a, and that was a, a, a kind of a, a lost leader. But, um, but the point was that I, I could do it because I had all these tools. So in yeah. marketing, you have to have the best tools available. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing. Uh, you can have ambition. Uh, and you can understand the uh, basic tools, uh, sorry, the basic understanding of the principles. So mm. absolutely customer-centric, determination of customer statement need. They're the two empowering things you need. But then what you do, how do you make it different? How do you come up with a marketing strategy that's different? Yep. And yep. and so there's some great examples of that unfolding. And I'm always impressed every day. So there's a company um, at the moment doing very well in, in – um, Japan, um, which is a company called Rocket, which are selling uh, fruit. What they've done is make all the apples the same size and put them in a, in a, in a sort of acrylic tube, and they're selling right. them because it makes it look better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. so marketing yeah. is um, not necessarily about making a better product, but sometimes presenting it in a better way than mm. anybody has ever thought about doing it. So again, it makes the customer think about things in a different way. Yes. And that's all I was doing when I was dancing with this girl, dancing the way that she wanted to be danced with, rather some lunatic who looked good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so you mentioned before you're working with some with creative agencies around domestic violence, yeah. and so I'm keen to understand, I suppose, what you've learned over the years about what's best to have inside your organisation and what's best to bring in from from outside right. in terms of sales and marketing expertise. Well, there's a couple of things. In terms of what you're bringing in from outside, um, inevitably that's going to be uh, marketing, creative agencies and so on. And again, the answer to when I asked one of New Zealand's probably best creative minds, or I've been lucky to work with a number of them, but people um, like um, David Walden, uh, Devo, um, who headed up Wyvern uh, TWA, and I said to him one day over one of his long lunches, he used to have a lunch that lasted a day. You were Andy Armo by any chance. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. So so, so him and, and Andy Blood are all, yeah. my, all my people. And I've had some horrible, horrible experiences with them uh, driving drunk through Auckland uh, <laughs> at various stages of the night. But when I challenged Devo on one occasion to say, Devo, what's the most important thing about how you do a great ad to market something? And he just said, it's telling a story, telling a story. And if you think about all the great ads, it's about that. And one of the best ads that you can ever see uh, is the Apple ad, um, um, which is... Um, oh, 1982. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Absolutely. You know, and so, uh, and, and it's, and, and understanding that um, ads, in terms of that part of it, the trick is don't try and sell a product. Try and sell how it makes you feel. So if you watch a Nike ad, you, you, you know, historically, you'd never see any sign of a shoe. You'd scared of a shoe. You'll see a, a black dude sweating just with his head dipping across the winning line because mm. that's what it makes you feel like. You're a winner if you if you use this product. Mm. So always try and focus on the experience that it gives you rather than the product itself because once you get down to the product, it becomes, um, you know, you start and, and particularly for um, technical salespeople, they try and if you try and get a, um, a guy to go and sell a... Um, if you've got somebody who was writing code to sell a computer, it'd be a waste of time because <laughs> nobody's interested in the, the way the code works. They yes, actually want to yeah. know what it's going to do. Yeah. It's going to yeah, make you yeah, feel. Yeah. So that's from the outside perspective, that's the, the most important thing. From the okay. inside perspective is knowing who we are mm. and knowing who we are and what we want to do. So you've got to understand your own brand first and then you can look at how your own brand 
fits in a customer statement of need. And sometimes it doesn't, and that's why companies fail. So they spend a lot of time, we've got a great idea. I've got an idea for a skateboard, and every time you go over a bump, it plays Yankee Doodle Dandy. <laughs> Fantastic. It's great. But, but, <laughs> you haven't painted to that, have you? <laughs> <laughs> but, but the point is that nobody wants it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so yeah. understanding that little, the, the, the smallest intercities of what makes a person want mm. that product is the most important thing. So you've got to do that. So if I was designing, uh, so if I was going to set up a company to market, um, say travel luggage, um, the last thing I'd do is go to MIT and get a bunch of students to try and design one for me. What they would do is dis disassemble it, put all the bits, the, the, the computer, all the parts, and then they'd put pockets for it and put it all together. And it may not even satisfy the customer statement of need because when you watch a guy at the airport, which is what you should be doing, you'll see that when he takes his computer out, the bag falls forwards because it's not balanced correctly or there's no place for him to get his passport out quickly. And what you do is you find the customer statement of need by research rather than never, ever actually do surveys. Never do surveys. Why not? Well, because surveys are always skewed. They don't tell you the right answer. So if we were doing a survey, the most pragmatic survey you can get is when an 80-year-old lady with varicose veins that are bleeding and she's got a bowel that's in, she's got um, a prolapse and she's got cloclomer and you go and she goes to the doctor and sits down. The doctor says, how are you, Margaret? She says, oh, not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and so, so, so that's what you get if you okay. people tell you if you ask people how many how much sex they have, they're yes. gonna, it's going to be it's not going to be the right answer. <laughs> I'm not suggesting we go into people's bedroom, but but you see what I'm getting at. The yes. point is that yeah. by observation, mm. observational research yeah, is actually okay. much more important than doing surveys because surveys. Another guy I know who was uh, he made his fortune out of. Um, just something simple. Uh, he saw a customer statement need that cutting concrete used to blunt the tools in amazingly. So he came up with a patented new tungsten blade design which cut 10 times longer and three times quicker. And he patented it and he made a fortune in the States with his technology. Came to New Zealand, set up a, a place up at Walkworth um, and kept commuting to Auckland. And he realised that he needed to take stuff up there more and more often. So he, he came up with this big thing that was a, a trailer that was like a big barrel that was made of um, um, plastic mm -hmm. and, and you could clip it onto your boot basically. You didn't need even a tow bar. You had to put some straps into the boot and you could then, with the wheels on the back, you could take it away with you mm. and it would expand your boot space by, you know, 2,000%. Brilliant. Um, and so he, he put it uh, on display at the uh, A&P show and everybody thought it was fantastic. The survey said, oh, we, that's fantastic. Right. He never sold a one. And the reason he didn't sell one was because um, really you did need a tow bar uh, because it didn't quite work with the, the thing. And if you needed a tow bar, you couldn't put a, a tow bar on a Nissan Micra. <laughs> the people that really needed the, the thing had a, had a ute. And, and so there wasn't really a customer for the product. Yes, so but the survey up, said. The survey fantastic. said they loved it. Yeah, yeah, It was yeah, a great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay. what, so what you do is you, you do a real true determination of customer statement and see what they're going to do. I mean, the same thing would be true for making your own um, coffee blends or something. The best thing you can do is do a, a real human trial mm. with them sucking it up and seeing what they do um, or seeing what people do with anything you know in terms of recycling things you can come up with an idea but only by observation by seeing what people actually do when they do those things is is the way to get the right answer so so if you had to if you had to sum up this whole conversation into a piece of advice because you've got people listening to this who 
are looking at sales and marketing and kind of not sure where to start. So if you had to give them a piece of advice that they could take away tomorrow morning and action, what would it be? Well, the first thing is that whatever you're doing uh, in life, you've got to satisfy a customer statement of need. Otherwise, you haven't got a product. You haven't got... Most businesses fail simply because they don't hit that spot or they're a variation of somebody who's probably doing it better at scale. Uh, So the first thing is to find a novel point of entry that satisfies a customer statement of need Mm. that either people didn't know existed, yep. which makes yep. their life easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and something like that would be zero because uh, they came up with a better way of doing something that was, uh, you know, a complex thing. Um, and then the next thing would be to um, make sure that you've got the tools to do the job. And that really starts with the team around you. There's not – one of the things that I talk to people about is there's very few companies that don't have a bifurcated name like um, Smith and Wets- Wetson or, or, you know – uh, Smith and Coey or something. So you need people around you to actually get the stuff done yes. because nobody's as clever as all of us. I mean, I, and understand your limitations. I mean, I'm good at, I've become, uh, you know, uh, much more literate at computer stuff than I was 10 years away, 10 years ago. But I've got a 12 year old daughter who's writing code and she can do more things than I can. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, so I, I get, surround myself with people that know, I know what I want to do, but I have to get the, my team. And then I have to nurture my team like a queen bee to make sure that they believe in the same story. So first thing is to determine that you've got a customer statement need that's solving a real, real problem. Mm, mm. And hopefully I'd like to think that people might start to think about that in the context of our society rather than just making money. It's actually quite easy to make money out of something. Uh, you know, bell-bottom trousers went were gangbusters when I was in the 60s, but, but, but they didn't really make a change in society. No. Uh, but I'm, I'm much more interested in this late stage of my life of actually thinking about what we can do to, um, um, you know, improve um, our lives, you know, uh, from a social perspective. So the, so the key things are get your, um, your, your customer's statement of need sorted out, get your team of people around you. And at the end of the day, um, when you get all those in things, it's it's making sure that you continue to be customer-centric. It's actually very easy to get lost because what happens with some companies is that they they, they make a, um, um, uh, a particular product and it may, let's, let's say they manufacture a, um, a, a, a machine for um, packaging certain products um, and then they get bored with it because they're doing it every day and they say well let's make a variation of that and they haven't done gone right back to ground zero and made sure there's a real customer statement of need for that it's their own imagination that they think mm. we should expand our product range yes you know yeah, yeah. Um, so and often that's where people come unstuck is that they start to extrapolate outside of where their real core customer base is and they get lost um, you know, um, sometimes it's the other way around where we had um, people um, um, who started off in one business and ended up in quite another business. Um, you know, so we had um, the Electric Wildfire Fence Company who um, really started off um, just making cows fit in a particular area. Yep. But then they actually, because they had all this technology about monitoring, they actually ended up using electric wire fences to stop the Mexicans from getting over the <laughs> over the, yeah, the yeah, barrier. Yeah, so yeah. so there's yeah, another yeah, yeah. customer for the product. Yes. Yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah, you yeah. think about how you can apply the same technology yep. to another discipline. And that's okay because that's different. That's when you use the same technology. But often what the people do is they mutate that technology into an area which is not really relevant. Mm, mm, you know, mm, and then mm. you get lost. 
you just follow all your marketing strategies. So marketing's not that hard. It's really about absolutely being making sure that you've got a customer statement of need that you're solving because yes. if you haven't got that, yes. next one is to be absolutely customer-centric through the whole journey, through the whole process and have that wonderful team of people that believe in you and believe in the product. Fantastic. I asked you for one. You gave us three for the price of one. So <laughs> thank you. Ray, this has been a really interesting conversation. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you. That's my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. If you liked it, you can follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app for fortnightly episodes. For other great New Zealand podcasts, head over to podcasts.nz. And if it's IT expertise you're after, then make your way to gorillatechnology.com. See you next time.